I'm either looking for a quarterback that right now is better than Ryan Tannehill to play in 2023, or I want a guy that in three years is going to be better than whatever my quarterback is in 2025. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, April 21st. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined, as always, by producer JT. JT, how are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, although it's the day after the world stood still on Twitter. Everybody has lost their blue check marks, except you. Those poor things. You Twitter blue payer. Pay hey, burn me like the blue. Burn me like the witch that I am. I'm gonna join yeah. the mobs. We're gonna burn you on the cross. Uh-huh. All everything that stake, I say whatever. and do from here on out can be discredited by the fact that I pay for Twitter. Yeah, I'm just it's frustrating. Reply with a bunch of memes. It's frustrating because first of all, the cope from from folks that pretend that they don't care about their blue check mark, who had blue check marks formerly, and just want a virtue signal that they're not paying for it now. Like it's it's massive amounts of copium on Twitter yesterday and today. So. Got to watch out for that. A lot of people pretending that they don't care when they're definitely caring. I mean, it is it is the human and it is the closest thing I've ever seen to society literally being the meme of the dude like screaming, crying, but he's wearing a mask of a happy face like that is what these folks are doing um, because status means a lot to them and they're all media and influencers and they, you know, they care about their status. So boohoo. Sorry for you. I, I, I had Twitter blue months before Elon ever bought Twitter. Um, I never asked for the check mark. I certainly would not be paying what I pay for Twitter Blue for the check mark. So my one and only time of ever explaining why I have Twitter Blue is for content creation purposes. I you, you know, I like to be able to edit my tweets. I like to be able to post longer videos. That was the original reason why is so that I could post longer videos during the season when I get longer videos so that you guys can, you know, have the clips that I get at games and at at training camp and all of that. That's the reason that I have it. Um, not for the check mark and if if they made me pay separate for the check mark. I wouldn't get the check mark. So, and if they took away the other things and just made it payment for check mark, I would stop paying for it. Um, so, if you want to make fun <laughs> of me for that, it's cool. I guess if your point is, haha, he pays for Twitter. Well, haha, I occasionally get paid to tweet. So, you know, it's it all works itself out. I, Twitter, I am I am netting positive money from Twitter when it all is said and done. So it's really not a big a deal. My um, favorite one though is LeBron James who tweeted like that one is two weeks funny. ago. He about how he, and he ain't, then doubled down. He ain't gonna, he ain't gonna pay for Twitter blue. And yet here he is big man on he, campus. Still he with had his cake and ate it too. Yeah. He apparently decided to change his mind in that two week span. Uh, Cause he <laughs> sent out the virtue signal text and then just decided, eh, maybe I'll pay for it anyways. It is funny. All these, I mean, cause it's not about the money. All these millionaires that are like, oh, here's my check mark and I'm not paying it. You have, you're, you know, you're made of money. Like you can afford, you just don't want to because it's not cool now to have a chart check. It's, it's the, it's the star bellied sneeches. It's literally Dr. Seuss. It's like, <laughs> it was cool to have a star on your belly. And now suddenly it's no longer cool to have a star on your belly. And then eventually maybe it'll be cool to have a star on your belly again. Um, but it's, it's purely <laughs> like high school in it's society acting like the worst high schoolers you've ever met. Um, so it's funny and don't take it so too seriously, everybody. It's, it's really not that big a deal. Um, we're talking about quarterbacks today. That is a big deal. Most important position on the field. According to most, we are talking about the, you know, the top 10 as we've done with every position, but we're going to kind of take it in two halves here as we did with running backs a little bit yesterday. And as we sort of did with tight ends the day before, there is 
unlike any other position, a significant, massive drop-off from the top five guys, and one could argue really the top four guys, to the rest of the field in this class. It's actually deeper in terms of a quarterback class than you usually get because quarterbacks are, you know, good quarterbacks are so hard to come by. There are a handful of guys, uh, the the back half of our top 10 list, who we're going to talk about, not necessarily as guys that could succeed in the NFL. And yeah, maybe there's a Brock Purdy here in, in there that, you know, maybe is a true bona fide starter or at the very least may have to come in and start for a team and look really good for a while and hit a hard ceiling, but be better than we expected in the NFL. And we're going to talk about that. So we'll, we'll view those bottom five on our top 10 through the lens of if this guy works in the NFL, what is the trait? What is the thing um, that we can point to and say, this is why we'll do that. And then we have our special guest, Sean McAvoy of quarterback takeover. He's a quarterback development coach based out of Atlanta. He is the personal quarterback coach of Malik Willis. Uh, he has done draft prep and quarterback coaching for massive names in the past, such as Jalen Hurts such as Trey Lance, um, such as Deshaun Watson, some guys that you've definitely heard of, some guys that are definitely talented NFL quarterbacks, one that you just saw play in the Super Bowl. So this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to quarterbacks. We love having him on. We started our conversation doing a little check-in on Malik Willis. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and then we, we talked about the top five quarterbacks with him. So Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker. We get his thoughts on all of those guys. We're going to do it similar to the way that we did with our um, wide receiver episode earlier this week with Austin Gale. We didn't bring him on. We didn't subject him to the full hour and a half conversation, but we did want to get his thoughts. So we're going to splice back and forth when we get to the top 10. We'll give our thoughts on these guys, talk about measurements, give you the, the lowdown on them so you can you know have all the facts, give our opinion, and then we're going to splice to our conversation with Sean McAvoy and hear what he has to say because we got into some really really insightful conversations about this quarterback class as well as quarterbacks in general. So excited to do that. JT, if you're ready, I'm ready. I don't have any honorable mentions. Um, we can jump right into the top 10 list here and uh, we can start with the very bottom of my list. JT, my quarterback 10 in this class happens to have two national championship rings on his finger. It's Stetson Bennett out of Georgia. Now, this is a guy who from a measurement standpoint, we were just talking about it before we got on, on the air. Not the most impressive, JT. No, and, and like I was saying, like why is no? But well, I guess why? Why is everybody comparing Stetson Bennett to the next coming of Tom Brady when when he is like maybe as small as like Bryce Young? He's the you know? pocket version, pocket version of Tom Brady. Yes, right, 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 <laughs> exactly. So, right? so, so, what are those numbers that are concerning? Because you got them pulled up. Yeah, so he comes in at five eleven and a quarter, which is the third percentile. Mm. Uh, a weight of 192 pounds, which is mm. zero percentile. That so is a Bryce Young weighs, weight right weighs there. Weighs less than Bryce Young, even yeah. if it is a fake Bryce Young number. Probably still yeah. does weigh less than Bryce Young. He probably does. And his arm Despite length. being taller uh, than him. Yeah. His arm length, not well either. 28 and 7 eighths, which is one percentile. So his frame is not what you're looking for in an NFL quarterback. No. So my high-end comp for Stetson Bennett. Tom Brady. Is no, is Taylor Heineke, right? This guy is a gamer. There's no doubt from an intangible standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, don't pay attention to him getting arrested on the sidewalk earlier. We're going to pretend that didn't happen because it doesn't fit my narrative. But um, we, other than that incident, we, we truly don't have an example of him not being a guy that you want in your locker room, not being a guy that you want to be a leader of men, not being a guy that doesn't fold in the biggest moments. I mean, to his credit, his best games tended to be 
in the biggest moments on the biggest stages and he balled out. Now, is he um, like, you know, old enough to be a grandfather? Arguably, yeah, he's he's very old. Um, he is a fifth year senior. Excuse me. No, he's not. He is a sixth year senior um, at age twenty five point five years old currently. So in uh, in October, he will be twenty six. Not the greatest for a young quarterback uh, when they're not a young quarterback. After all, he's going to be younger than a lot of the studs. If he goes in the AFC, he might be like the third or fourth oldest guy in the entire conference. That's how old this guy is. Um, but he's a gamer and he's a good decision decision maker. So for the prompt here, if this guy works, how's he going to work? I think Setson Bennett has a long, prosperous career ahead of him as a career backup in the NFL. And I think that he has Taylor Heineke upside where if you need him to come in, this guy can come in and win you two out of three games, can come in and win you three out of five games. I believe that this is going to be a very valuable backup, and that's the reason why I think he gets drafted sooner than some folks may expect, maybe as soon as very early on day three, um, at the very beginning of the fourth round. Is he going to ever be that starter in the NFL? No, I don't think so. He's got limitations from size and physical standpoint, but between the ears, he's a he's a sound decision maker. He's, he's ahead of the curve in terms of prospects coming out of college from a from a football knowledge scheme standpoint and he's a gamer there's just that intangible element of he is a winner he demonstrated it in college and you cannot discount that and I think he's the kind of guy that a team can rally around if he needs to step in and be that guy but JT I can't every time I think about him I can't help but go back to the memory of us sitting there watching the first half of the quarterbacks go and I forget who the one stud in that group was. I think it, Levis was the was the 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 bill the top of the billing of that group. And so it was Levis and then a bunch of nothing except for Stetson Bennett and Max Duggan, who looked awful. Max Duggan's not good. There's a reason he's not on the list. Stetson Bennett looked like the second most polished guy by a pretty significant margin. And I remember us watching him being like, this guy is going to have a long career in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've grown to be like haha funny Stetson Bennett will never make it in the NFL to no this guy is going to be a season a season pro he's going to probably have two or three contracts make a bunch of money maybe just holding a clipboard but if if you had to throw him in a game I don't see why he couldn't have find success yeah of all the guys that aren't in the top five quarterbacks in this class the guys that are considered potential future starters in the NFL Bennett is the one that I would say if you had to pick one who's going to be a career backup and I'd be shocked if they just flamed out and did not work as a career backup. It's Stetson Bennett. I see him as that guy. I think that he's going to have a long and prosperous and financially prosperous in particular career in the NFL. The next guy, my quarterback nine is Jaron Hall out of BYU. From a measurement standpoint, JT, a, a bit on the on the better side. He's still older. He's fifth year senior, 25 years old. He'll be 26 uh, next March, I think he's either March or April spring baby. Um, but Jaron Hall is a guy that, um, I, I think is worthy of being in the top 10 before I give my reason why he might can work in the NFL. Can you run down some of his measurements? Yeah. So Jaron Hall is six foot and an eighth inch tall, 207 pounds and 29 and three fourths quarter arm length. Um, those are all still bottom 10 percentage for, for guys of his position, but he does have a little bit more size to him, um, especially in the weight class. Yes, he, he is, is a, a bigger guy, more, more along the lines of a traditional NFL quarterback from a bulk standpoint, from a height standpoint, leaves something to be desired. And he does have a, a history of a lot of injuries, so that's a concern. 
Um, consistency is the number one thing for him. He just doesn't have a whole lot of consistency when it comes to being a downfield passer, accuracy issues, decision-making issues. Um, but when he puts it together, the high end is there and you see this guy's uh, cerebral and dual threat passer that can work in the NFL, I think as a career backup as well. He's somebody that does have pretty decent athleticism to him and, uh, his arm talent is average, but he makes up for it with his legs and his, his, uh, decision-making what he's got between the ears. He's got pretty average control and efficiency. Um, but he, he is that dual threat that if he were to come in the NFL and you need him in an RPO best based system to, to be a guy that steps in for a couple of games, I think that he could, um, it's just a matter of whether or not he gets, gets to stay healthy in the NFL and whether or not he is in the right system. I think his fit is, is very important because he needs to be in that RPO based play action system to be a viable backup. My quarterback eight is Jake Hayner out of Fresno, Fresno state. Um, JT, this is a guy that is also lacking in the size department. He's got the bulk, but his height is a concern. Yeah. Um, and I'm really interested to see what you saw in these two, these two between Jaron Hall and Jake Hayner. Um, because when I read the measurements here, you're going to be like, did he read that wrong? Did he read the same person? No, I'm reading, reading two different profiles here. Jake, Jake right. Hayner comes in at six foot, 207 pounds and 29 and three fourths arm length. So he is literally the same exact size minus an eighth of an inch uh, as Jaron Hall. <laughs> yeah, he's another guy that I look at and I see Taylor Heineke because like from a size standpoint, certainly not. Uh, he, he's lacking in that department. He's got average physical tools, his, his anticipation, his accuracy, all average. He's got average arm strength, average size, below average size. Um, but naturally accurate. I think when he's on it's it's on. And so he's got some NFL accuracy to him. Very competitive. You got the, the, the mentals, the, the dog that you're looking for. He's able to keep plays alive. Does not give up is a creative guy in that way. As long as he stays healthy, I think from a mental standpoint and an experience standpoint, because he is a, yeah, he's a sixth year senior, even though he's 24, 24 years old. I, I see him being a resourceful NFL backup if he can stay healthy because of what he's got between the ears and because of the amount of experience that he has. Um, the the seventh guy here, and this is we're finally into the territory of guys that I'm actually excited to talk about. Dorian Thompson Robinson out of UCLA. This is a guy that I paid a good bit of attention to at the combine. Um, really caught my eye, and, and I'll talk about the reasons why here in a second. But JT. More traditional from a measurement standpoint, he's got the height of a real NFL quarterback. Yeah, so he comes in here at six one and a half inches tall, two hundred and three pounds, and thirty and five eighths uh, arm length. Uh, but what I noticed at the combine, and you probably did too, was his speed. He was one of the guys, one of the few guys to run the forty at the mm -hmm. combine, in which he posted a four five six forty, which is in the ninety two percentile, and a one five one ten yard split, which is the ninety seventh percentile. So this dude uh, is fast and athletic. Yeah, he's got the physical tools to create for sure. I I was really enamored by his arm at UCLA. He was talked about a lot as a guy that just had a really inconsistent arm. His delivery was off. His accuracy was a problem. He's been working with a quarterback coach this offseason that I have heard has done wonders for him. And I think in the past nine, 10 months that he's been with this guy has changed his 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 approach, his delivery 
a lot and it's it's been for the better i think you saw a guy even at the combine who looks significantly more polished more pro ready than you saw at a lot of times at, at ucla in his games early last season he's got the physical tools to be that dual threat you mentioned his speed he's a he's a big enough fella to to make guys miss as well as to run them over he's got an NFL quality arm and that's the biggest thing. This dude's arm is absolutely on par with what the NFL desires. Big arm, very tough. He's able to create at a, on a, on a pro level, I think because of the, that combination of a big arm and the physical prowess to create time for himself to problem solve that veteran presence that he's going to bring. Cause this is another guy that is um, 23 and a half years old, fifth year seniors played a lot of ball, got a lot of ball under his belt. I think he he's got a backup role. Um, in his future very early. I see him being drafted for certain, and I see him being a guy that is slotted in as a backup who you would not mind having on your team at all. Um, they're, they're even, this is the first guy that I think may even have a, a very small 5% sliver of starting upside simply because of the amount of, of progress I've seen him make over the last year. If he continues to get better and better at that clip, who knows? I think that, that he's got the physical tools to be, uh, you know, he's, he's capable of being that guy. He's just got to develop between the ears a little bit and, and get a lot better as a quarterback. Another guy that is NFL ready and really just lacking one thing is our, our runner up for the top five is Tanner McKee out of Stanford. And there's a lot to love about this guy, especially if you were drafting in like 2004, because JT from a measurement standpoint, this guy is the prototypical pocket passer. Yeah, so his height comes in at uh, six five and five eighths tall. He's two hundred and thirty one pounds, and he's got arm length of thirty two and seven eighths. Um, if you're looking for comps to this guy in, in in terms of the size, you're gonna look at all those guys from two thousand three and two thousand four: Carson Palmer, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, even maybe like Matt Ryan. Like these guys were all coming out like around the same size, right? Yeah, and, and here's the thing, JT. I don't know where that number – I believe you that that's what it says on Mog Draftable. I'm not sure where they're getting that number from because I'm looking at Dane Brugler's numbers right here from the combine, and he measured in at 6'6 six, six and 2 eighths. So this guy, regardless, 6'5", six, 6'6", even, six, even taller. Yeah, this guy's big, 230 pounds. If he had any mobility whatsoever, if he was athletic at all, if he had a single ounce of athleticism in his body, this guy would be an NFL quarterback. For sure, because he's accurate rhythm passer. Um, he 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 was playing in a, a more NFL style multiple read offense. He was able to get through his reads, able to to play in a system that is more NFL ready. Um, there's just not many second chance plays. He's not creating at all because he's you know just not athletic. Um, so it's if it's not there, the, the lack of mobility is really hard to overcome, especially when he gets to this next level and is facing that next level of speed and athleticism. The NFL projection is like kind of similar to a Mike Glennon kind of thing. Um, and Glennon, uh, you know, was maybe the 50, 40 percent tile comp for him because I think that he has a higher ceiling simply because he's a better passer than Glennon is or was coming out of college. But Tanner McKee, if you got an awesome offensive line and this is your backup, you're balling because this guy between the ears, he's got it. He's polished. He's a, a third-year sophomore at age 23. He's he's as developed between the ears as a lot of these other guys. Very smart. I mean, he, he, he went to Stanford, so you'd expect as much. But Tanner McKee is going to be an awesome backup, and if it's just frustrating because if he had any mobility, any athleticism at all, I swear to you this guy would be a good NFL quarterback. But unfortunately, he is stuck in the past and in today's NFL, 
that's not quite going to fly. All right. Now we're get to our top five guys and we get to talk about the, the, uh, the guys you're most interested in. These are the guys that are probably going in the first round. I I'm expecting at this point for all of them to go in the first round. Yes. Including this next guy I want to talk about who is my quarterback five Hendon hooker out of Tennessee. Now, JT, let's run down his his measurables, and then we can talk about what there is and isn't to love about Hendon Hooker. Yeah, so he comes in at 6'3 and 1 eighths inches tall, 217 pounds, and 33-inch arms. He's such a polarizing prospect, as we, as we talk about with uh, Sean McAvoy. You have some thoughts on him as well that maybe go past our conversation with him, yeah? Well, yeah, because the issue with Hendon Hooker is, and we talked a little bit about this with Sean, the truth is somewhere in the middle, as it always is. There are there are folks who think this guy's undraftable and is a bum, and then there are folks in the media, some that I think are influenced by his agency and representatives who are talking about him as a potential top 10 pick. And it's frustrating because we don't really know what the true potential of his prospect star is, considering he was unable to finish the year. It derailed Tennessee's chances, one could argue. Um, to to get into the the college ball national championship, even though their defense wouldn't have taken them very far, in my opinion. Um, we've got a guy who would have, I think, been a, fi- a Heisman finalist, should have, despite not finishing the season. And uh, if he had finished the season, I have no doubt he would have been in that conversation. SEC Offensive Player of the, of the Year last year. He's a gifted runner, but he moves kind of like a baby gazelle, like he. He moves in a way that's not the most fluid. He moves in a way that is maybe not the most efficient, maybe not the most safe in terms of, um, you know, protecting your ACL, protecting your knees. Um, and that's, you know, maybe not evidenced by the fact that he went down with a 20th ACL last year, but it certainly did not help. He just runs with so much violence, so much force that doesn't seem like it's very um, sustainable when it comes to being a rushing quarterback. But he's a high-end developmental guy. Um, when he was at Tennessee, he was a stud. It's a tough offense to comp to the NFL for obvious reasons, but there are some issues in terms of like keeping his eyes downfield, his accuracy on deep balls. I think he's got a bigger arm than Sean McAvoy gives him credit for here in a moment, but regardless, he, he's not got the most accuracy in the world. Um, from a statistical standpoint, his pressure grade is is pretty poor. When he's pressured, it's not awesome. He had a 43.7 according to PFF, which is like the, the 30th, 25th percentile. Um, he, he did have a very, very good year last year with a 90.8 PFF grade, um, two interceptions and threw for 27 touchdowns, a 123.9 passer rating. So like this guy's played a lot of ball. He has seen it a lot. He, he, between the ears, he's got it figured out from a, from a, uh, person, personality standpoint, from a, you know, interview standpoint. Apparently he's just murdering. He's slaughtering these interviews with these teams. They love him. He's a, he's a likable guy. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. It's just a matter of he's not going to play this year. We don't know what kind of impact his ACL injury is going to have on his mobility. And we also do not know if he's going to be a guy that has any more development left in the in the tank, considering his age. Um, I believe he is 20. Yeah, he's 25. He's going to be 26 this season. That's really old for a quarterback coming out. And it's easy to assume that at 25, he may just have already developed. He was really a a man amongst boys there in his last year or two in college. And and you kind of see him just kind of big boying guys when it came to being smarter, quicker, better than them. But he's also seven years older than them when he's playing against them in college. 
that's a concern because at the next level, that's not going to be the case. Let's get to our conversation with Sean McAvoy on Hendon Hooker and hear what he had to say. All right, let's welcome back into the Hot Read podcast, friend of the show, Sean McAvoy. He is a quarterback coach with uh, doing quarterback development with QB Takeover. Is that right, Sean? Good to have you back, man. How are you? Good, man. That's correct. I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's nice to be back. Thank you. It's great to have you back, and we're talking quarterbacks today, of course, so we thought who better to bring in than the quarterback expert himself, our resident expert here on the show, and we love having you on. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on some of these top guys because it is really a fascinating draft class, um, very much a different draft class than last year. I think there's there's more talent top to bottom to discuss, so that makes it interesting, makes it exciting, and then from a Titans standpoint, you know, they are very firmly within the – they're in the thick of the mix of teams being talked about should they or should they not consider a quarterback? Will they or will they not consider a quarterback in this draft? So it's a, it's an interesting time for Titans fans for sure. Before we talk about this year's prospects, we can't have you on the show without checking in on Malik Willis. Since you are his personal quarterback coach, you uh, let us know before the show that you are in Nashville a lot this this summer and this spring, working with him, working with you know Ryan and, and the guys as they're staying in shape, getting their work in in the offseason. Catch us up on where Malik is. And then, you know, the big question around him this year is now that John Robinson's gone, the guy that drafted him is no longer in the building. There are some questions to be asked about whether or not there are still folks within the Titans organization that have, you know, support him, have his back, think that he can be a, a future winner in the league. Is he just tuning all of that out? Do you know how he's addressing those concerns at this time? Yeah, I mean, start at the start at the beginning. You know, I, I think obviously you go into any off season and the focus is on, you know, looking back and and find your areas of improvement. And obviously, you talk to your coaches and 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 they're gonna hopefully give you directions on things they want to see you focused on in the off season. And and that's that's what kind of Malik was focused on starting in January. I mean, there were two big important things for him. He wanted to be in Nashville and be around the Tennessee strength uh, strength staff, and you know and and do all his work there and then be around as many of his teammates as he could as well. So once he made the decision to kind of run his offseason at Nashville, that meant that I was going to spend most of my spring in Nashville <laughs> as well. And, you know, obviously, like we, you know, identifying stuff, you know, what Coach Rabel, what, you know, at the time, Coach O'Hara, and now obviously uh, um, we're going to do it. The good, Charles yeah. London. Good Charles London. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. I'm sitting here thinking right, it's a city. What's his name? You. Okay. Yep. Charles London. Yeah. Right. So. So anyway, obviously, you know, just focusing on the on the on the areas that they want to see him make the most progress, and then things just on his own that he knows, you know, being self aware of what he needs to improve. So that's been the spring, and, and you know, really the last three and a half months of of working that and getting him ready for the time now, where he's with the team doing workouts and going into OTAs and everything going forward. But the second part of your question is from the mindset standpoint, right? When you mm -hmm. have all these rumors circling about what the the you know, quarterbacks are going to do, what the Titans are going to do with that position. You know, no different than the boat Ryan's in because you hear just as many rumors going that way, too. And, uh, you know, at this level, all of these guys are kind of cut from the same cloth in that they are very insulating from from the outside. Right. Like their focus is on themselves, their mm -hmm. own improvement and then what they can do best for the team. And so I think the only voices that are important to Malik or any other quarterback in this situation are the ones I mentioned, his coaches in the building. Uh, the staff in the building uh, and his teammates that he's been working with all spring. So from well, that point that on, we'll just kind of see what happens. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And now that we've gotten a baseline on Malik, let's talk about another guy who's not quite a local, but there are plenty of locals who are big fans of his. It's Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee, considered mm-hmm. to be the the fifth guy in this group. And it really is a question of what if with him, because if he hadn't sustained that injury at the end of last season, who knows where exactly he'd be discussed in terms of this year's draft order amongst his peers. You know, there's kind of been this group of four guys at the top that have been talked about the most. Um, and, and Hooker has been talked about a little bit less than I think he otherwise would have, because if he'd stayed healthy, you know, he would have been within that Heisman conversation, may have even won it. Um, despite being injured, still was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, uh, had an amazing season. There's there's a lot to like about him as a college prospect, but the concerns with him at the next level are just how much does that game translate from college to the NFL, considering the kind of gimmicky college style offense they run there in Tennessee. Very hard, not necessarily um, precluding you from succeeding in the NFL, but it's, it's tough to, to make that projection when you're watching the tape to an NFL style game. What is it about him that if, if the, if the haters are wrong and if folks are just wrong about him, that he can succeed in the league, what are they missing? What does this guy bring to the table that people aren't seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in that it's almost like he was out of sight, out of mind towards the end of the season. And then we get to yep. draft, you know, season. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's in this class, too. It's kind of the way everyone treated Hending Hooker. Um, right. No, I agree. I think two things that stand out is, you know, he, he changed the program. Like, he was the face of a program that, that completely changed what they had been you know, over the last several seasons. And, and there's something to be said for that. It's really hard to do. Not that he did it all by himself, but certainly to be kind of the main person everybody's looking at and to take a team from where they had been is with all the, you know, scandal and stuff over the last few years. And then, mm-hmm. you know, go beat Alabama and have a chance to really go play if he stays healthy. I think go win the win the whole thing. Right. Um, very few guys are have the ability to do that. So from a leadership standpoint, from kind of a, a mental makeup, um, how he handled himself, you know, around the program, in the media, things of that nature. There's a lot to really love, you know, like though, like the intangible aspect of a guy like Henning Hooker is is super high and off the charts. Now, anybody who's been around him, uh, that knows him, um, you know, will share that, right? So that's that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, if you're if you're one that wants to look statistically at quarterback success, well, there was nobody better. I mean, when you're leading all FBS football in QBR. You know, that's saying something. Now, we can have arguments back and forth on how important QBR is. that a kind of a skewed metric or does, is that the be-all, end-all of great quarterback play? But, you know, you look at the games he played in, like the Alabama game, um, you know, the way – I mean, you look at like – go back and look at three or four of the, of the big games they played in, and those were his best games. Mm-hmm. So you got a guy who plays his best in the biggest moments. He's doing things at that university that you haven't seen – in years uh and he's doing it like as just a, a high class guy right now the negative on hendon is back to the trait argument right and you you don't see he doesn't have the biggest arm he does he's not he's athletic but i don't think he's super fast right he, he obviously has an ability to make explosive plays with his feet but we're not like where when we talk about anthony richardson in a second he's not where that guy is right um mm-hmm. 
So when he's a more frenetic mover. Like it's not it's not as smooth with him necessarily. He can move well, and he did at least before. Yeah. And that's another part of the eval, right? It's like this guy who does have a rushing capability to his game coming off an ACL. What's that going to mean? Teams, you can't know, right? Uh, I think that's one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And then and you mentioned the offense too. Is like all right, and this is going to be every quarterback coming out. This was the knock on you know Justin Fields when he was coming out of Ohio State. Um, you're going to see a little bit of it with CJ. Anybody who comes out of an RPO system, you think about Matt Corral and Malik Corral, Willis, obviously, yep. last year. And, yeah, right, those are guys – even Sam Howell to some extent with, with mm -hmm. what he was able to do with the numbers. But, you know, say, hey, how much of this is the offense and how much of this is them? Or does this translate to style of play? And, you know, those are the questions everybody's going to dissect. And, and I think it's fair to say, okay, we're, how much of this these numbers were aided by the offense. But at the end of the day, you run the offense that your coach asked you to run and no one did it at a higher level than Hendon Hooker. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think I still think he's got a chance to get into the top four and, and maybe jump some guys to surprise mm. people. Um, but I think without a doubt, he'd be a guy who would be a cement first round, no doubt about it, if not for the injury. Well, you've got a good point about the way that he transformed that that team, that franchise. And, and he did it, you know, not as a guy that came in as a top recruit, but as somebody that was a a transfer was a backup or competing with Joe Milton. What, you know, was not the starter when he comes in and then yeah. earns that job and, and does what he does. So it's only fair to recognize how he did come from a, a, a meager place to, to make himself a top five quarterback in this class and make himself the sec player of the year on offense. But you can't talk about Hendon hooker without bringing up the age. And I want to hear your opinion on yeah. Um, age and and prospects coming out of college, it kind of did get to the point with Hooker where there were times he was just a man amongst boys out there, um, yeah. which, you know, there's some concern there as to whether or not is, is he a late bloomer? And if so, what can you know, what can you substantiate that argument with? And, and how can you disprove, you know, he is a late bloomer and isn't a guy that, you know, just got to the point where he was benefiting from playing against younger, less experienced competition. That's another one of the concerns. I, I want to know if that's something that crosses your mind and, and holds a lot of weight in your opinion. No, I mean, you said it with how long that path's been. Now, I still remember when Liberty played Virginia Tech. I remember Malik and Hendon playing against each other. This was four right. years ago, I guess now, right? Um, then I think the lasting image of your Virginia Tech fan is Hendon, like, shivering on the sideline in that Clemson mm. game after he had like dropped multiple fumbles. Like I can't get that vision out of my head. That looked like a guy who was done. Like that was the low point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And to get from there to where he is now, remarkable. Right. So the age. Okay. So where the question is, is how much upside does this guy have left? Right. I think right. that's what people are looking at. So exactly. where, you where, much juice any yeah, you expect any quarterback or really any player to obviously get better as he develops year in, year out, right? You see it all mm -hmm. the time. Like every quarterback in their third year is better than they were as a rookie. Every single one yep. of them, right? Yep. And that's what you expect. Even happen. Patrick so, Mahomes has to but, figure out how to handle a too high look, right? And then, you know, he does. And he's still them. the look best quarterback Jaylen in the league, right? Everybody's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, probably no better example than a guy like Jalen. And, you know, and you can make uh, some similarities in, in Hending's yeah. skill set, right? And so the difference is, you know, did Hendon already make that three-year development? Like, is is he there now? Does that make sense? Exactly. And does he yep. not have three years better to go? So that'll always be the question mark. Um, you know, obviously, once again, comparing him to a guy like Anthony Richardson, who's on the other end of that spectrum, where he's not even close to 
the 22 or 23 where most guys come out. Yep. Um, how much maybe upside does he have, right? And and that's that's where people are going to have a problem. On its face, do I care that the quarterback's 25 or 26 as a rookie? No, right? Because I don't care if my quarterback's 35 if he's playing at a high level. So in the moment, you don't care. But when I'm trying to make a decision on how close is he to what he eventually can be, what his ceiling is, and if I think he's too close now and maybe where he is now isn't quite good enough yet, that, that's where I think some teams will, will take the All right, next up is my quarterback four, Will Levis out of Kentucky. This is another guy who has frustrated me to no end, JT, because I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I was low on him for so long last year into this year, and now apparently he's an undraftable bum and no one wants to touch him with a 10-foot pole. And I'm forced to be higher on him than most because I've not changed. He's my quarterback four. He's been my quarterback four. I expect him to struggle and really need the right fit in the NFL to succeed but he's got the tools to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for sure. I think this guy absolutely can play. It's just a matter of whether or not he can be developed. And I think folks don't give him quite the benefit of the doubt that he deserves because of his situation at Kentucky last year, because of his injury situation last year. If he had come out in 2021, he would have been the first guy. He would have been drafted before Kenny Pickett based on his 21 tape alone. That, that was a guy that absolutely would have been the number one pick or the number one quarterback taken last year, maybe the number one pick, I'm not sure. And he would have uh, been a guy that I think we see a lot differently. But from a measurement standpoint, he's got the goods. Yeah, Will Levis here comes in at 6'3 and 7 eighths, uh, 229 pounds and 32-inch arms. So he's he's got uh, he checks all the boxes for a quarterback that you want, but it's his accuracy and his arm that aren't the best. Well, they are, and, and this is something we talk about with Sean McAvoy here in a second, but I want to give my two cents on this. Levis has talked about as a guy that has decision-making issues, and while I think his decision-making needs some work, I don't think, based on the tape that I have watched, decision-making is really the primary issue. I think a lot of people are mistaking decision-making problems on tape for him with accuracy problems. I don't see a guy that's making poor decisions. I see a guy that is it is just not being as accurate as he should be. Now, Sean and I differ on that a little bit, but when it comes to an accuracy question, it's tricky when you're trying to evaluate an NFL or a college quarterback coming into the NFL that isn't accurate, trying to determine what exactly is the cause of that inaccuracy. Some guys just doesn't, they just don't have it. They don't have it between, between the ears. They are not um, somebody that can be a high level accurate passer. It's just not the way that they're built. But a lot of the times accuracy is a result of poor footwork. And on tape, Will Levis's footwork is pretty horrendous. They're consistently inconsistent. He does not throw from a consistent base really at all. And so he gets really spotty ball placement. He's good for a duck or two every game. And, and that's a concern. He also, and I think this is going under talked about JT. This guy's so rocked up. He's such a, such a gym rat, gym warrior that he, I think it affects his ability to come over the top in a passing motion. He's got this really funky short arm release that like I'm his delts and his traps may just be too big for, for him to, for him to like get his arm back past his ear because this, this short mechanic that he's got causes some more inconsistency issues and he looks uncomfortable whenever he tries to alter that release. So like an arm angles thing or a throwing on the run kind of deal, that's not the the playbook for Will Levis. 
but he is a sneaky good runner. I think he's a weapon on quarterback sneaks. He's built kind of like that Josh Allen mold. So he's a stud when it comes to that converted 22 of 23 short yardage sneaks in his entire career. He's a great leader from all that you can tell. He's unwavering under pressure, delivers strikes within the pocket. I disagree with Sean on, on this point. He's got an awesome arm. He is one of the two strongest quarterbacks in this entire class. I actually think it comes down to him and, and Richardson, although Hooker, I think, has a stronger arm than folks give him credit for. Levis might have the second strongest arm besides Richardson, but it is close. He's got flamethrower style arm uh, arm power, and, and we know that he believes that because he told us at the Combine that's why he was throwing, to, th to show off the flamethrower, to show off the cannon that he's got. He claims that he can throw it 80 yards, and based on tape, it's kind of believable. Let's hear what Sean McAvoy, quarterback coach and expert, has to say about Will Levis. Sean, Will Levis, he's a guy that when I just start looking at the, you know, my preliminary familiarizing myself with the prospects, a fan of, of football and watching college football on my couch on Saturday in the fall, forming fledgling opinions on these guys. Uh, my, I, I, I watch Will Levis and I just don't see it. Right. And I, I feel like I'm mm -hmm. lower than the consensus. He's being talked about in November and December as potentially the, the best quarterback in this class, potentially a number one overall pick. And so I'm lower on the guy. And then you flash forward to March and April and suddenly Will Levis is the world's biggest bum. He's an instant bust. He, he, he there's a million reasons why you don't want to draft him. It seems like the entire fan you know the entire fan contingent of the nfl is out on this guy and i feel like i'm taking crazy pills because i go from being lower on this guy who i consistently have felt like is the fourth best quarterback in this class i don't feel like i have changed i feel like the world has shifted around me and suddenly yeah, i'm forced to be higher sure. on a guy that i don't actually love <laughs> in this class but i love him more than yeah. people that think he's undraftable it is has the hate yeah. jumped the shark like i think that it has am i am i crazy I think you put it the best way. And I share, I think, your opinion of him. I, I do not think he is a, a a great prospect at this point, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden he's like the guy who stinks. And obviously yeah, he's the know, villain that's, of the entire draft cycle. Well, it's right? unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you see it. I mean, year in, year out, there's always that one guy who, you know, it's almost like people are too high on him. And then the people that, that don't like that other people are high on them just shout right. louder. And then, you know, like, to, well, so it's still they, the NFL, right? It's know, a it's TV about, like, product. It's the world's best soap opera. Yeah. You have like, you have to have from a narrative standpoint, people are going to find somebody to villainize. So there has to be somebody. He yeah. drew the short straw, but I don't think it's fair for sure. No, I don't think it is either. I mean, here's the problem is what are you identifying with Will Levis is why you think he's the top guy or the top two or three guy like what is it and i think that's hard for people to put a finger on you know he's right. not the high trait guy in this class once again he doesn't have the strongest arm in this class he's not the most you know um consistent like most accurate passer in this class he's not a guy who is super athletic and adds all this extra with his feet i think he has the ability to do that you saw a little right. bit more of it in his 2021 season but mm -hmm. you didn't see it last year now is that what they asked him to do offensively i get it but, you know, I don't think he's going to be a threat to be a runner with his feet at the NFL level. So so I don't see that piece either. He didn't produce at a high level. Like, you look at you look at his whole college career, show me the game where he threw for, like, 350 yards and four touchdowns. Like, that, that game doesn't right. exist. Yeah, you know, show me, like, game three games in a row. Yeah, like, where is it? So you look at a guy, you know, 
usually what we're looking at here is, okay, you got the guys who just win from the pocket. You know, those guys sit in the pocket, think about Mac Jones or, you know, or, or Bryce Young and CJ this year, you know, mm-hmm. the guys that just sit in the pocket and throw for 50 touchdowns. Or you have like the dual threat guy who throws for 25, runs for 15, he's you know, neither. does it that way. He's neither of those guys. He's, right. neither, he's neither of those guys. And so like, you know, now you're questioning, what is he? And and I think that's where people struggle. For me, a, it's always hard to predict a guy having more success at the NFL level than he had in college. Mm. Now, I get, like, when you're Kentucky playing Georgia and Alabama, okay, maybe that's unfair. Right? I would have made the same argument if you judged Malik Willis on the game against Ole Miss, right, when right. he was at Liberty. Like, that's a tough, right? That's a tough eval, but yeah. you do expect those guys to produce, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Malik had 40 touchdowns in his last year. Like, show me a right. guy who at least produces somewhere. And You're so going to play some garbage cans on the pro- schedule. Did you Did you kill him? Did yeah. you show out, right? Yeah, that, that's it, you know? And and so a guy who played for two years and never produced at a high level, and now I expect that guy to suddenly be more explosive or produce at a, a higher level at the NFL level, I, I just don't see that in Levis. Now, that being said, he's – you know, I, I, I would probably put him in, like, that number four, number five. Like, for me, he's right. with Hendon, mm-hmm. you know, and I can make arguments for one or the other. Once again, I, he's going to get drafted in the first round, I yes. think. Yep, uh, I think so, too. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, and he's still a top quarterback and, you know, I, I think will be a starting quarterback in the league. So it's we're not talking about a guy who stinks, to your earlier point, <laughs> right? just when it's relative to – Maybe some of the other guys at the top of this draft class, that's where I just don't see it. And there, I mean, it is difficult to find some of the, the reasons why you might be high on him, but they exist, right? Like from a from a measurement standpoint, he 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 is the prototypical build for what you'd like in the modern NFL. He's 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 got the the right look to him in, in that way. He he's coming from an organization or from a team rather where he did play in a significantly more pro style offense. So it, when he was sure. operating well, that was an easier comparison to what you would expect to see in the NFL. And then there are reasons to, you know, to not knock him entirely for some of the shortcomings, like the fact that he wasn't playing with a ton of talent this past year, like the fact that he was yeah. playing on a, a bum foot for most of the year. Those things have to come into play. And, you know, there is a leadership aspect there that everything you hear out of Kentucky, he put that team on his back and, and was maintaining a very high level of, of character and leadership throughout the season, even when they were struggling. So I think there are things to like the, the biggest thing for me, when I watch the tape, Sean, and I, I want to get your perspective on this as a guy who has, I'm sure corrected and taught this to numerous folks over your years. The accuracy is the biggest concern on tape for me. And yeah. with accuracy in quarterbacks, it's always a lengthy discussion. It's a tricky discussion because you know, you can be a guy who just doesn't have it from an accuracy standpoint. You it just, it's not it, intangibly. You don't got it. And then some guys, and I'm sure you've experienced this. A lot of their accuracy problems come down to, you know, poor or lazy footwork come down to poor, or lazy mm-hmm. mechanics. When you watch Will Levis and you consider accuracy issues in that way, what generally speaking, do you think accuracy is a fixable trait in a quarterback and does it require it to be a, a symptom of an underlying cause what what's your what are your thoughts on guys getting more accurate at this high level of football yeah no i mean i think not only do i agree and, and i do believe that you can improve accuracy you listed all the reasons why right because mm-hmm. usually 
it is a product of other things that certainly can be fixed and just mm-hmm. being more stable, having a better base, more consistent in the way you're doing things. You know, you start with that and then just, you know, obviously we're talking about specific things with the arm or mechanically. Uh, What's the most common reason you, um, you find in guy like when you when you coach somebody up and you you manage to get them to become more accurate in an instant? What's is yeah. it usually one thing that you fixed for them? Yeah, yeah, it's usually, you know, and, and to simplify it the most, just setting up to throw the same way every time, which seems like such a nonsense, right. like, of course, like, yeah, but like, literally, like, if I'm throwing to the left, I'm set up from a base and balance standpoint, the same way I would be if I'm throwing to the right, right, right. and I'm not having different throwing motions on different throws or, or things of that nature, and, and some of that is just footwork in the drop. Some of that's an ability to kind of have your eyes lead you through a progression and get your feet set up in the right position. But if we simplify to the, the core point, it's like, let me throw the same way every single time. And I think with, with Will, you see that on his tape where he's just not getting himself in good position. Right. Um, you know, so some, But that's something he can work on. I think the decision-making for me is my biggest red flag with Levis. And you just see it over mm-hmm. his game film of like, the throws, and maybe it's an arm arrogance thing, which isn't always a bad thing. Like he's he thinks he's capable. We know arm arrogance stuff. based on what he said at the combine. Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah. he's not so talking like, about how I'm throwing at the combine because I've got a cannon and I want to show it off. So there is some arm arrogance yeah. there with this guy. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes that can be something that's good, but I, I think what you see and when you see in his film with the with the you know the number of interceptions he's throwing, and not just interceptions, but like just bad decisions, you know, bad throwing ideas, into right. double coverage. And yeah, just like that wasn't a throw that had any chance of success. Um, those are, but once again, that's something that can be improved upon as well and will for him. I mean, quite honestly, he is going to be better three years from now, obviously than he is now. Um, and so the question is, you know, how much faith do I have in my coaching staff of being able to develop a player like Levis? Um, and is do I want to start with him? Or is there another guy who I think is already starting higher and I can take him mm-hmm. further in three years? I think at the end of the day, that's the decision that all these teams drafting a QB are going to make. All right, JT, we're on to my quarterback three, Anthony Richardson, the unicorn, the alien, the most athletic quarterback that we have ever seen. Let's talk about the numbers because from a on-paper athletic testing standpoint, this dude's he's a, he's a, he's a wonder. He's a revelation. He really is. He comes in here at six, three and three quarters inches tall, 244 pounds, arm length of 32 and three fourths inches. If if you're looking at his, his worst percentile, it's height. And that's 66 percentile for a quarterback. Everything else is like around the nineties, like his 40 yard dash, four, four, three, 98 percentile vertical jump, 40 and a half inches at 99 percentile on his broad jump. 129 inches at 99th percentile. Like he's in, incredible. Right. The thing with Richardson that, and I talk about this with Sean McAvoy here in a second. I don't think that he's raw. I don't think that he's a project. I think the correct moniker for him. And I've said this before is inexperienced. He's only got 455 dropbacks in his entire college career. So is he Trey Lance coming out of, you know, D2 NDSU? No, he's not a guy that's played like seven games in the past seven years. But he's not played a ton, and one could argue he could have gone back for another year. Sean McAvoy, in a second, is going to say he wishes he'd gone back for another year so that we could see him play one more year with a little bit more polish, with a little bit more experience, and then come out in the NFL. 
he only throws lasers touch the word touch is not in his vocabulary this guy he does not and he said it himself he's in frankly he's, he's been defensive in saying i don't care if dudes think i throw it too hard you better catch the ball all right cool but in the nfl it's helpful to have in your toolbox you know a little touch pass situation on tape that's nowhere it's he is it's it's lasers only all the time every time and he's also got inconsistent feet similar to will levis he's kind of all over the place not throwing from a uh, solid base all the time now he gets away with it because he's so athletic so strong so fantastic as a as an athlete that he can get away with that but his adjustments in the pocket are oftentimes resulting in some inaccuracy, um, not being able to make the best throw that he possibly can. And he occasionally misses wildly because of that. Now the pros, because there's a ton, ton, ton to love about Anthony Richardson, elite arm talent. Like the dude has the second best or the best arm in this class. I would give him the edge over Will Levis. Obviously, he's built like a linebacker, built like a tight end. If he gets bumped in the pocket, he's not going down easily. It takes a lot to bring him down. He also has incredible downfield vision combined with incredible pocket navigation on tape. That's the thing that stands out immediately. This dude can navigate the pocket like nobody else. He is the number one guy when it comes to pocket presence and navigation in this class with a bullet, in my opinion. He manages to keep his eyes downfield despite not having great clean pockets much at all at Florida and still is able to deliver strikes and move within the pocket to create time. And then he doesn't bail unless he has to. And in the cases when he has to, he's a stud running the ball. Like he, you, there's, there's so much to love with his process. And I think as a downfield passer, he's significantly more developed than folks give him credit for his pressure grade is not great. 41.9. So when he's under true pressure, there are times when he does not manage to escape. And there are times when he does not manage to, to get the ball downfield. But I, I think that's something that can be improved with simply more experience. You just not have as many live reps. The more that he gets, the more that I expect him to succeed. Everyone brings up his completion percentage from last year, 53%. And boomers will talk to the cows come home about how this guy's inaccurate because he's got a low completion percentage. That is the, the dumbest, most boomer thing you can talk about when it comes to accuracy with quarterbacks. Low completion percentage does not mean inaccuracy. It can just as easily mean they played in an awful system where they were forced to make too many tight window throws, forced to throw the ball to guys like Justin Shorter, who are bad receivers uh, under bad offensive coordinators. And that was the case with Anthony Richardson. This Florida system did him no favors. He was playing with poor talent given despite, you know, at an SEC level. And and playing in a system in which he was being asked to do too much at times and then not do what is most suited to his strengths. So I'm not shocked at all that his completion percentage is low. And I don't care because when you watch the tape, this dude does not have accuracy issues. He does not. He is a guy that is going to come in, be better than you think immediately. He's got a higher floor than people give him credit for. And his ceiling is through the roof. I love Anthony Richardson. I've been Anthony Richardson pilled. I would absolutely approve of the Titans going and getting Anthony Richardson, depending on the price. Let's hear what Sean McAvoy had to say about AR-15. Let's talk about the guy that's kind of the polar opposite of the folks we've talked about so far. And he's my favorite guy to talk about in this draft because he is, to me, the most interesting quarterback prospect in this group. It's Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Yeah. The, the athleticism, it... it it bears repeating just how freaky athletic this guy is. I mean, he is, he is Cam Newton coming out right now. This guy from an athletic yeah. standpoint is the best that we've seen amongst the best that we've seen, if not the best. Yeah. 
the the thing that I always come back to with him, and I've, I I entered this draft process not as high on him, um, and then I watch some of the tape. I look at some of the numbers. I I hear from folks that I I trust on these things. My opinion has shifted. I, I think the 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 common misconception with him, and you, I want to, if you think I'm incorrect about this, I want to hear why. I think the common misconception mm-hmm. with Richardson is that he is this raw project of a prospect. When in reality, I think you look at the tape, and I, I don't think raw is necessarily the fair or most accurate way to describe it. I think it's a, a matter yeah. of inexperience. He's just not played much football. But on tape, yeah. in the limited sample size we have, there's a lot of polish there. He flashes it a lot. Now, are there consistency issues? For sure. He, he's not played a ton. But like when it comes yeah. to decision-making, accuracy, footwork, navigating the pocket, th- you can see really, really, really high-level polished professional traits on his tape that he's already gotten. It's in him. It's in his body. He's done it once, and his scouts say we can get him to do it again. W- what are your thoughts on Richardson in this class? Uh, he's. I mean, he's clearly the highest upside QB. People get without tired of hearing yes. that every draft cycle anymore. But without a doubt, I mean, he just – he is unique. He's a unicorn. And you're talking to a guy who works with Malik Willis, works with Justin Fields, works with these guys that run 4 4 You run a unicorn farm, man, so you know the unicorns. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But even amongst guys like Justin Fields and Malik Willis, Anthony's different because he's doing it at 6 4, four and 2 He's, four, he's a linebacker, pounds, man. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just – it's really crazy. Um, Anthony's a guy I've been around through the years, back to Elite 11 – you know, he works down there with with a good buddy of mine, Will Hewlett, down in Jacksonville, who's mm-hmm. been doing his draft prep. Malik and I actually started our offseason down there with Will, with a guy named Dr. Tom Gromelli, who is an arm care specialist. And so we've spent time around those guys. So I've gotten to see Anthony up close, even in the last couple of months, right before I saw him in Indy, right before the combine. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be cool with a guy like AR is he's what you're going to see is better than what you saw even in November and December of this previous year. I think like so he's, too. The things, the things he needed to improve on, like his accuracy, and once again, just like with the Levis conversation, consistency in his footwork, being better in position to make the throws, and then just the consistency in the way he throws the football, I've already seen the, the, the strides he's made to improve mm, those okay. areas. Um, and so he's already off and running. You used to hit the, head, the nail on the head with the inexperience, though, like, I wish more than anything that Anthony Richardson did not come out this year. Like if I had one, like just one more year sake of like yep. how good QBs could be. Like I'd love for that kid to be, have one more year in college. Now hey, no one's we, we hear all about how decision. amazing the prospects coming up next year are. If he'd stayed in, I think he would absolutely have rivaled those guys for that top spot. Oh, without a doubt. And that's the funny thing every year, right? Like, like Spencer Rattler was supposed to be the number one QB the last <laughs> right. two years. Right. Yeah. If we went yeah, back yeah. two years ago. Right. So, you know, people were telling me about how Bo Nix was a first round. Like, these things are all out there. So who knows what next year looks like and where Drake May and Caleb Williams still are. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't bet against them, but it'll be interesting. But, yeah, without a doubt, I mean, you wish Anthony had another year under his belt. um, And I think he would maybe silence some of the skeptics that are out there now. Um, But, no, without a doubt, listen, he's 20 years old. You know, he's – already does things at a high level. I think he you you hit the nail on the head with he he has kind of more polish in certain areas than most guys come out in the draft do. Right. Although he has issue, you know, does that make sense? It's almost like the reverse. Normally you see guys that like strong arm, throw it really well, really accurate, but he holds the ball too long. He doesn't process well. 
and and you know, and maybe he doesn't you know sense pressure. But he's not the, the prototypical but, freaky athlete, but but other than his athleticism, he's got a lot of issues as an actual quarterback. Like I don't see that with Richardson. That's right. No, he's if anything, he's the reverse of that. Where he, right. you know, he he reads defenses and feels pressure and makes good decisions and and moves in the pocket and avoids sacks. Like those are the things that normally trouble young athletic quarterbacks. He doesn't have any of that. Now, mm-hmm. like I said, you wish he was he threw a little better. You wish he was a little bit more consistent. Um, but I I think those are things he's already on the way to improving. Um, I would still have him as my number three guy in this draft class. You know, mm-hmm. but. Here's the deal. Every time you draft a QB, you look at one thing. You either say, what is this guy right now? And can he replace the guy we have right now, like this year? Or I look at it like, who can this guy be in three years? And is he better than what I will have in three years? That makes sense. Let's put it in the Titans framework, right? So if I'm drafting, Mm -hmm. if I'm Tennessee, I'm either looking for a quarterback that right now is better than Ryan Tannehill to play in 2023, or I'm saying, I want a guy that in three years is going to be better than whatever my quarterback is in 2025. Does that make sense? Uh So maybe it's Ryan in 2025 or it's where Malik could be in 2025 or whatever else they do. Those are the two options I'm looking at. It's hard for any team outside of, you know, Buffalo or, or Kansas city, or maybe now Philly to not think that Anthony Richardson has a chance to be better than what their option will be in 2025. Yes. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's what that my last question on Anthony Richardson is is along these lines. This is another philosophical question that I want to get your thoughts on as an expert on these things. Yep. When it comes to talking about prospects and, you know, everybody's it's a little bit of apples and oranges no matter how similar these guys are, there are elements of their game that that make them impossible to compare. And so when you when you talk about this quarterback class, you hear a lot of okay, who's the most polished now versus who has the highest upside, who's got the highest floor, like these different superlatives and qualifiers we throw on guys. I think because of the fact that Anthony Richardson is the guy that has the highest ceiling in, in the consensus opinion of, of this class, his his toolbox just, it, it gives him a theoretical higher ceiling than any of these other guys if he puts it all together. I think that naturally knocks him in most folks' eyes as well. He's also, you know, he may have the highest ceiling, but he's got a really low floor too. I think fundamentally I disagree with that simply because of how athletic he is. And I want to get your opinion on, I actually think I replied to one of your tweets about this the other day. When I see a guy with, with raw athletic talent like this and Justin Fields, who you worked with is a great example. I think having that athleticism can get you in trouble when you're young. Like you can, you can do And we saw this a little bit with Malik last year, you know, the tendency to to use your physical, physical gifts to get yourself out of trouble. When in reality for development's sake, you should probably be hanging in there a little bit longer I do think when you have these physical gifts, however, it raises your floor as a as a new player because that capability, that physical capability, gives you the opportunity to buy yourself time to problem solve. And if you utilize it correctly and you don't use it as a crutch, you can see like Justin Fields, we saw him be really the only thing that was redeemable on that Bears team the last year and a half. Yeah. Like, yeah. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was a stud athlete, an incredible football player as well as a quarterback who's trying to figure out how to put it together. What are your thoughts on, on that? Do you think that physical uh, physical prowess like that, running ability, raises your ceiling as a quarterback prospect? Or raises your floor, rather? Raises your floor. No, I, I do. I do agree. I, I think – and I think you see – like I said, it's, like, it's not just us speculating. Like, you just go back. Like, look at Jalen Hurts' first three years, you know, where he yep. struggled, didn't throw well, was a 50% passer, made a lot of plays with his feet. 
Second year, he kind of did a little better with both, and it came together, right? I think that's what you're seeing with Justin Fields. You know, I still think that's what you're going to see with Trey Lance. I think it's what you're going to see with Malik Willis. You know, I think you're going to see those that ability, you know, and it, it takes some time to get there, right? And you kind of have to be patient with the development process, and you're going to have to be that way with AR as well. Um, but I do. I do think it because you don't have to – we said there's two types of quarterbacks. You either wins from the pocket or you can do the other things and play as a dual threat. You know, the guy that can only win from the pocket has to do that, right? And yep. the guy who has an ability to, to make plays with his feet and make plays off schedule and add to, in the QB run game to an offense, he gives himself a little bit more leeway to not quite be ready yet to just win from the pocket. Just two guys left to talk about, and we've got C.J. Stroud as my quarterback, two out of Ohio State, JT, from a measurement standpoint, this guy's very prototypical of your NFL quarterback in today's league. Yeah, just fits all the check marks. Nothing too crazy. 6'3", 214 pounds, and 32 and 5 eighths arms. Very respectable for a quarterback of his size. CJ Stroud is the safest bet in this class. He's the most pro-ready, in my opinion. When you, when you evaluate top to bottom, I think he's going to be the most comfortable immediately accuracy to the moon this guy's the most accurate passer in this class and it, it is a projection with him only in the sense of is he more than just a pocket passer because we saw him do that so much at the college level and yet one could easily argue he wasn't asked to to move much or to not be a pocket passer it didn't require him to leave the pocket to create to throw on the move to tuck the ball and run downfield like they didn't have to do that much because he was playing with a stud team Oftentimes, he was playing far, far inferior talent on Saturdays. So what do you make of that? Because we did see in games like the Georgia game at the end of the year last year, him get cut loose and turn into a stud. You know, I, I joke on Twitter this this past week, uh, yesterday, actually, or two days ago, that um, the eval on CJ Stroud has suddenly become well, he had one good game in college, and then he has a bad S2 score. And he's also flaked on the Manning passing camp, which is is hilarious that there's this psyop going on that that he is not a good quarterback. Suddenly, I think that there's a team that wants him to fall and they are doing their best to make sure that happens. The S2 thing, I think, is fair to concern you. But yet, and I know that on F words, football and other F words podcast with Mike Herndon and Zach Lyons, they were debating this yesterday. Zach being the stooge that he is thinks that that CJ Stroud is an idiot quarterback. Mike being the well-adjusted uh, adult that he is thinks that the hate for CJ Stroud is, is ridiculous. Loves Zach to death, but I think he's crazy on, on thinking so hard line on CJ Stroud based on a test that we've seen have a very low sample size of, of guys successful and not successful. Now, it, obviously it helps to be better at, at processing and to be smarter in that way. So like, if you were going to knock him, that would be the way to do it. He's got a lower S2 score. Apparently, we don't know what it is, but we know that it is, it is lower than you would like it to be. And we know that there are a handful of recent quarterbacks that have succeeded in the NFL that have done well on the S2 score, on the S2 test. So one could reasonably argue that you, you need a guy that is, is you know, it's replacing the wonder. Like you need a guy with, with the goods between the, the ears and the S2 score is the best way to measure that right now. I just don't, take that as a deal breaker simply because of what we see on tape simply because of of the prospect this dude is is loved by a lot of folks in the nfl and for good reason 
because of the accuracy, because of the arm angles and the feathery touch that he's got, he can throw at multiple speeds, does a beautiful job layering the ball over the middle of the field when he needs to. Very quick process from the pocket on tape. Throws with anticipation. It's all over the place. So I don't, again, that that kind of thing refutes the S2 score issues. Under pressure, he's a concern. That's the biggest concern for me, really, more than the S2. When he is under pressure, his pressure grade is a 43.9, which is not good for a top flight quarterback. Threw for 41 touchdowns and six interceptions last year for 125 passing grade. Um, 65.9%, uh, 3,600 yards. Like all of that is there. You can take with a grain of salt again because they didn't play a ton against elite competition. But when they did, he rose to the occasion like he did against Georgia. And I think that he is absolutely going to be a good NFL starting quarterback. Let's hear what Sean McAvoy has to say about CJ Stroud out of Ohio State. Um, let's talk about CJ Stroud, Sean. And this is a guy who four or five weeks ago, the Panthers trade up to the first pick and people are talking about CJ Stroud. Congratulations. You're the first pick in the 2023 NFL draft. Now, seemingly overnight, his evaluation is as simple as, all right, the pros are he played one good game in college and the cons are he flaked on the Manning passing camp and has a bad <laughs> S2 score. And so he's yeah. this undraftable guy. Like it's been a weird psyop going on this week. I think there's some team that wants him to fall that might be putting some bad bad mojo out there on him but he's still considered one of the top two guys in my opinion I think he he was in everybody's opinion 10 seconds ago I think when all is said and done he'll still be considered one of those top two guys and for good reason he's yeah. maybe the safest guy in this class some have said some have said he's maybe the most polished him and Bryce Young are certainly up there in terms of the most pro ready today can step into your system and operate what are your thoughts on on him and I guess my my instead of being such a broad question, here's here's my yeah. my pointed question, Sean. He's an OSU quarterback. We hear all about all the time. You know, OSU they can't play in the NFL. Whatever. He's an individual. We're going to treat him as an individual. There were questions as to whether or not in that Ohio State system he was asked to do all of what he's capable of doing, and I think that we saw a little glimmer of maybe him being unleashed, unchained a little bit in that Georgia game where they're playing against a team where they are outmatched, which is very, very rare for Ohio State. He's yeah. he's cut loose, and we see him ball out and have his best game of his career. D do you think that in that system he was being maybe muzzled a little bit, maybe similar to Justin Herbert in that Oregon system where he comes into the NFL and in the right hands, he may be more, more capable than we ever saw in college? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing to do is when you can win – every week with a certain style to to run a different style than that right? right and and that's just the reality so yeah i mean i i think they put cj in position at ohio state to win every game they play and more often than not he does that and he does what they need to do to achieve that i mean you know it's, it's once again it's tennessee like when the titans are handing off to derrick henry and they're winning then great like they don't need to do anything else other than that the question right. is when you do have to do more or that doesn't work, do you have the ability to do it? You hit the nail on the head. You saw CJ have to do it, and he did that, right? Now, obviously, didn't ultimately get the victory there, but certainly can't fault him for the way he played. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think there's parts of his game that, that haven't been unleashed or at least seen as often uh, as you have with other guys, possibly. I think the hardest thing, and we'll talk about Bryce here in a second, obviously, too, is the hardest evaluation is the quarterback who is just on the best team. And like, 
they're better <laughs> than everybody they play at every other position. Yeah. Because there's parts of us when we watch the game, like, man, I could throw five touchdowns behind that offensive right. line. Or, <laughs> right. If I Get, was thrown to put me with the jug machine could, back there, I'm throwing for five touchdowns. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean, and and I think we all naturally and 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 we're, we're obviously wrong. None of us could do any of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not as far. It's not as a ridiculous thing. I bet every quarterback in Division One is looking at Alabama games and being like, "Geez." With like, that toolbox, like yeah, me. those yeah, weapons. Right? Come on, man. And that's and that's the hardest thing to evaluate. That's why it was tough to evaluate Mac Jones. It's tough to evaluate, um, um, even um, you know, I'm gonna try to think of the years like Justin Fields. You know, all those guys that come out of Alabama. Hey, look at Stetson Bennett. He's the prime example. Sure, because Stetson Bennett. Nobody thinks is a high level quarterback coming into this draft class. Right. But obviously, you know, one two national championships look like all world. He's been know, an all star team years for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, okay, well, is is how much of that is inflating CJ or how much of that is inflating Bryce Young or what are they really, right? Um, I agree with the, the premise that CJ's probably the best passer of this draft class. Just pure, you know, to back to the consistency and the mechanics, the accuracy. accuracy yep. Things that we expect Will Levis and Anthony Richardson to have to really work to get better at. I think CJ mm-hmm. is already there, um, you know, and and now he doesn't have some of the athleticism that you see. So that conversation we just had about, you know, raising the floor early on and being able to maybe play the way the game's being played now at the NFL level where you're seeing more athleticism at the quarterback position really being a, an asset. You know, CJ doesn't bring that to the table. Um, and so, you know, you, it's like what you gain at one thing, you're maybe giving up a little with the other. Um, I, I think you hit the like when you said he was this maybe the safest pick. I, I think that's a good way to put it, right? Because he has all the elements that you want. Where he has a, a a good, not great arm. He has the size that you want at that position. You know, he's got the build. They can you think he can handle some some you know the the, the whatever the the wear and tear of playing at the NFL level. Um, and he already is a really good passer. He's shown good decision-making, and he's shown the ability to produce at a high level. And once again, just like Henning Hooker, he's done it in the biggest moments. From a rushing standpoint, like he is considered a guy that is more um, pocket-oriented. Like you you hear comparisons to, well, maybe he's Dak um, with, with, you know, maybe slightly better wheels on him. Maybe he's Jared Goff, but has has the running ability. That's another thing we didn't get to see him do a lot at Ohio State, but he didn't need to. Do you think he's going to bring yeah. a rushing element to the NFL? So so let's break rushing element into two things. Like, do I think okay. a guy on third and four can break the pocket and run for the first down? Of course, I think he's that. Sure. Right. But from like a design read element, you know, maybe yeah, not going to be. Yeah. That's it. So I don't see that aspect of CJ. Um, you know, Justin Fields is another good example. Another Ohio State quarterback. They're going to have those comparisons anyway. Justin didn't run at all in college, right? Like he right. maybe he didn't have to. It wasn't part of their system. He sat in the pocket and threw. And, and I was breaking NFL you know, records. Yeah. Yeah, because he always had that skill set. So just because you don't see it doesn't mean he can't do it. But I don't think anybody's going to argue that C.J. Stroud is a, you know, 4-4-40 type athlete, right? right. Just not who he is. So, um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the way I would look at it. Certainly enough athleticism. Um, but, but I, not where I would check the box as being like a great trait for him. Last one, JT. And it is the guy that you expect to be at the top of the board. I really, really wrestled with the idea of shifting these top three order. 
between Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. He ultimately is my quarterback one because of the right now. Now, if I was putting together a board of guys that I'd want in terms of a 10-year career, he would be behind CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson at least because I don't expect this guy to last very long. I've talked about it at length. I'm consistent when it comes to these size issues. That is a knock for me. The same reason why I think Peter Skaronsky is a tick below Paris Johnson Jr., despite, in my opinion, being a better lineman than him for sure, top to bottom, it's because there are size concerns there. And with Bryce Young, absolutely size is the concern. JT, let's talk about some of those measurements. Yeah, Bryce Young from the Combine comes in at 5'10", uh, questionable 204 fake, pounds, fake. and 30 and a half inch arms. Yeah, yeah. T- those other numbers are fine. 204 is fake. Take 10, 10 pounds off of that, and then you're looking at the real number. He, uh, you know, was was jamming Pop-Tarts down his throat at 3 a.m. at the Combine to make that number. Fat Bryce is not going to be playing in the NFL. That was just in Indianapolis. But outside of the size standpoint, we talked about this with Sean McAvoy. He's, he's got everything like the, the negatives are just small, small size, height, weight, small size. Have you heard that he's small? Like that's the concern. The other concerns are, are nitpicky, right? Like that he, you know, he had a shoulder injury in the past, but that's really the only injury that he's had at a, at a major level. Um, he sits kind of deep in the, in the pocket. One could ar- arguably or reasonably assume that it's because he's having to look over the the line of scrimmage to, to see over them because he's not the tallest guy, but he, he's able to see the field well despite that. Um, that makes life on tackles a little bit harder, but you know he's going to need an, a good offensive line regardless because of his slenderness and because of the, the fact that he needs protecting. But he's an off-the-charts playmaker. In terms of a playmaker, need-a-bucket guy, he's the number one guy with a bullet in this class, and that's why he's my quarterback one. Uncoachable pocket presence, pocket movement, creativity, throwing receivers open, throwing with, with anticipation incredible accuracy the dude's got it all there's a reason why he is quarterback one on most people's boards and if he had some more size to him he would be the 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 generational talent like trevor lawrence truly um his pressure grade is the best out of all of these guys for sure a 67.5 which is borderline elite territory for these college quarterbacks there's not really a knock 35 touchdowns last year only five interceptions despite really kind of carrying that squad for a lot of the season 114 passer rating, 3,300 yards, 64.5% completion percentage. There is everything in the world to love about Bryce Young besides his size, and that's a big enough reason, frankly and unfortunately, to dock him a little bit. Let's hear what Sean McAvoy has to say about Bryce Young. Sean, Bryce Young is the last guy we have to talk about here, and he's the guy that is closest to being that guy in this class, obviously the the one knock on him is size. And we, we kind of mm-hmm. talk about this class as a whole. There isn't, there isn't one generational can't miss prospect, or at least he's not considered to be that way because everybody has at least one glaring flaw. And with Bryce Young, it's that size. Let's pretend for a moment that the size is not an issue. Everything else with Bryce Young checks out, in my opinion. Is, is there any element of his game that, that you think is a little bit lackluster needs improvement at the next level. Isn't going to work at the next level, or is he truly just that finished of a product? It's hard. I think you're nitpicking when you're trying to find things, right? Right. Now, like I said, I, he, it, I think he has a, a good arm. I put him in a good arm, not great arm category. Yeah, he won't have a great not, arm at the NFL level. No, so he's not going to be like, you know, look at guys coming out in years past. There, there are phases of his game that aren't as elite as you've seen from other guys 
Um, and he's another guy that I wouldn't say checks the box of, you know, ags and athleticism to the point where he ags to the rush game or yeah. anything of that nature, you know, but we're, but we're really nitpicking, right? I mean, I think, you know, his accuracy or at least completion percentage, and let me be the first to say that I don't think completion percentage means anything with accuracy or vice versa, but, yeah, right. but I mean, there, are, there are areas of improvement, right? Like you see him miss, you see him miss high. You, there were games down the stretch where he missed what looked like easy throws he saw, um, you know, leading up. I'm trying to think one of those late games, maybe it was the, I can't remember, maybe the LSU game down the, down the stretch there. But there were some games where, he, like, you, you struggle. He's coming off the injury and stuff like that. And you saw him struggle on passes that you think a guy like him should make. But but I think you're nitpicking. I mean, his awareness, his ability to play the position, the way he avoids pressure and, and mm-hmm. you know, and he just he just has an understanding of how to play the position that I just don't think you see at that level with not only this class, but most guys that come out. Um, we, we, we can't ignore the size, however. So let's, let's talk yeah. about that. The size is a concern. It's not, it's not the height. I mean, that's the straw man is like, you know, there've been short guys. I know nobody's been his, his short and small size combination. We've not seen that in the league. So if you're betting on him to succeed, you're betting on an outlier, which this draft is full of them, right? Like, you know, Peter yeah. Skaronsky is an awesome tackle on tape, but you're going to be betting on him as an outlier at the NFL yeah. level for Bryce sure. young. That size is a massive concern. And there are many saying, and this is kind of the camp that I fall into. I'm confident that Bryce young is going to be awesome out of the gate. I just don't know if his career is going, I don't know if he's going to be awesome in five years. I really do not. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm concerned about his durability now there's the counter argument that is made with all these outlier liars that they've been this size their whole life. They've succeeded despite that. He, he he's gotten good at, you know, not taking crushing blows. And when he has in college, it's really not affected him. He's I think he's really only missed one game and it was with a shoulder injury that it sounds like he probably could have played in if he had to. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you make of the size concerns? Do you think that that, that is, something that is a big enough deal breaker to you. If you were a GM to be hesitant to draft him. I do. And, and I do too. And, and, and I like the size really concerns me. And, and like you said, it's not the height. It's the frame. It's the weight. It's the ability to, you know, go get through a 17 game NFL season. If he was, once if he was again, 10 at this size, I really wouldn't have all that much to say, but he's not, he's yeah. going to be playing at like one ninety, one ninety five. No one believes that's, his combine number. It's it's fake news, competitive eating number. In reality, this dude's just going to play at a small number. We, we talked about how hard it is to evaluate a quarterback who plays for the best team where they're the great receivers and they're better at every position. It's also hard to evaluate Bryce Young, when he, you know, like once again, like the, how about a tiny guy that ass. never gets touched? Right. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't get hit. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. get hit. He doesn't, yeah. he never, he never had to put himself in a position to that. And he just run the ball off you. Like they, they just always had the advantage there. Like to try to say, well, hey, he had a lot of success the last two years, three years in Alabama. Why won't he at the NFL? Because he's going to play on Carolina or Houston. Right. And they're they're going to they're not going to be elite at most positions on the field. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be asked to have to do more on his own than he was before. Now, can I, do I think he can do it? Of course I do. Like I would bet on his ability to overcome the fact that he's not elite at all the positions around him. Like I think Bryce is that good of a player. He can overcome that. But he is going to get hit more often. And. I think that adds up, and I'd be really concerned about how he gets through each season 
um, you know, and, and how he's able to hold up. So I agree. Now, like you said, I think that means that other t- – it depends on – back to what you're looking for. What's the team looking for? If right. they're looking for the most pro-ready pri- – last year, like some teams like Kenny Pickett because they wanted a guy who could play right now and he was pro-ready. Yep. And then other guys, if they're looking to like, hey, who's going to be the best in three years, they might have looked at one of the other quarterbacks. And you're going to see that. There's going to be teams, and maybe it's Carolina, who's like, man, we just need a guy under center now. He's got to be ready to play, and we'll and we'll develop him as we go. But if, you know, if I were a team that maybe has a starter in place, you know, I'm not sure even if I had the ability to draft Bryce Young, like I wouldn't like Anthony Richardson or someone like that instead. So, you know, it's just, just the reality of what the situation I'm in and what I'm looking for. Well, Sean, let's end with this question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're a GM. You're building around your quarterback of the future. Who do you want in this class to build around? Who do you think is going to have the best the best chance to have a, a 10 year tenure that is successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, God, because the size really concerns me. So I'm actually taking yeah. price out of that answer for me. It, to me, it's, it's Anthony Richardson or it's CJ Stroud. I'd probably take yep. CJ over Anthony right now um, because I think he gives you. You're more likely to keep to your job now. that way. You may not win as many Super Bowl rings, but you're going to keep your job. Yeah. Right. I think he gives you the better ability to win now. And also has a chance to be really good eight, 10 years down the road um, yep. where, where Anthony, you know, I think you're looking at a guy who needs a couple years to get to a position where he can get on the field. If he's on the field now, then you're really counting on his athleticism to raise that floor. Like you talked about, um, you know, the funny thing about draft is I have like, you never know when they're going to get drafted. You just think like it's about, who's better than the other one. Does that make sense? So right. whether they all go in the top five or whether the first pick is at one and then you don't see another QB till nine. Right. My faith is that like they'll get picked in a certain order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Bryce is going to go one because of the uniqueness of Carolina, although that's not what I would do. Right. Um, and then to me, I put CJ, then Anthony, um, you know, and then, you know, I could be argue, I can argue Hendon over, over Levis. Although I think there's a really good chance that all five of those guys end up in the first round. Not because all five of them are better than guys who didn't go in the first round the previous four years, right, right. or anything like that, but just the nature of the perceived need of different teams this year and who thinks they need a quarterback. It's just the way it's going to go. So it'll be fun to watch, though. Guys, he's Sean McAvoy doing quarterback development with QB Takeover quarterback coach to the stars we love having him on the show he is fantastic sean what anything you need to plug right now people need to go follow you on twitter at qb coach mcavoy go hit him up but you working on on anything besides qb camps Nah, i guess the same old stuff man i'm here you know if there's quarterbacks watching or parents of quarterbacks or things like that you know use sure. me as a resource i'm happy to help anybody that you know, is focused on something in their own development uh, that, that I can be helpful for. I love doing that. So, yeah, find me on social media. Awesome, man. So generous with your time. We love having you on. We'll have you on again in the near future. Until then, appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. All right. Big thank you to Sean McAvoy for stopping by, spending some time with us. We love having him on, and we know you guys enjoy his insight. Dude is the best. Appreciate you guys being here. JT. Just one more positional group episode to do. We got tomorrow our top 10 cornerbacks in the class. And then we have done all of uh, the what 12 position groups. We've done we've done safeties. We've done defensive linemen, edge, 
linebacker, wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, running back, tackle, interior offensive line. All we have left here is the, oh, and safeties. That's 11. So yeah, we've got the 12th and final position group episode coming out on Saturday. Tomorrow, we've got episodes all the way through the weekend. We've been saying it all week. Tomorrow, check out the cornerbacks episode. And then a ton of awesome episodes with some fun guests coming up where we get to do some thought experiments, JT. We've got the do and don't pick lists. We're going to talk through each round of the draft of prospects in each round that you should and should not draft if you're the Titans. We'll talk about why that is. We'll also go through a ranking of our day one and two Titans draft outcomes. We're going to talk a little bit about the betting markets with a special betting friend, a guest that you, uh, you'll be familiar with from the past who we've had on um, that we love to talk with, local guy. We're going to have him back, Alan Bell, next week. Cannot wait to talk about the betting markets with him. My mock draft 3.0 will be coming out next Wednesday, which will be my final mock, the, the reflection of what I think is going to happen in the draft, as well as my seven-round Titans mock. And then we've got an episode with James Foster coming out that I can't wait for called The Replacements, The Outliers, and The Flip-Flops of the 2023 NFL Draft. We're going to talk about some of the craziest physical outliers in this class and why you should or should not bet on them. We'll talk about guys that we think are simply better than dudes at their same position who are graded to go above them, but we think that they're going to be better NFL talents. And then we've got the replacements. If you miss out on a JSN, for example, in the first round, but you still want a JSN-style player, we're going to talk about some guys that you can find that are maybe the Publix version, the Kroger brand, Walmart version of, of the top-end blue-chip players that you can find later in the draft for a discount. Super excited about all of that. And then, of course, our draft live stream, which we're solidifying guests for right now. We are getting plans ready. We're getting studio uh, plans put together so that we can put together an awesome product for you guys and hang out with you all night long next Thursday and Friday as we watch the craziness unfold in the 2023 NFL Draft. Until then, for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.